it, it made me change my whole concept, my whole thought concept on it when, no, you can be successful and be a good guy. What I'm doing is I'm basing my ideas of success on the wrong precept. Ladies and gentlemen. Hi, everybody. Good evening. Are you ready? Keep this frequency clear. I know you're going to dig this. I am. Okay, here we go. Check, check it out. You're listening to the Martial Arts Media Podcast, where you, the martial arts school owner, gets insider tips and secrets from leading experts to help you build a more profitable martial arts business. Now, here's your host, the founder of martialartsmedia.com, George Faree. Hi, this is George Free, and welcome to another episode of the Martial Arts Media Business Podcast, episode number 28. I have another awesome guest with me today, who is Matthew Ball from SMAC. And SMAC stands for Somerville Martial Arts Center, which is where Matthew is from, of course. And we talk about the word SMAC and the possible negative connotation it has to it. But I guess more importantly, the whole change that they went through in branding from being a hardcore fighter type image with skulls and skulls on the car and everything and transitioning that to a more friendly family environment and how they had to go by changing their branding, their public image. And it's something that caused them to double their business in a short span of only two years. So we talk about that. It was a real fun conversation, especially before and after, but we kept in all the good bits for you. And we also talk about Matthew's first management episode where he was actually forced to manage because he was in hospital on his back. And that was the first time he actually had the whole bird's eye view from about his business and was able to manage it better from that perspective. And we also had some deep discussions, deep discussions about association with success internal blocks that you might have that don't allow you to succeed, that you almost self-sabotage yourself every time you get to this point of success because you don't want to be associated associated of being that guy, that successful guy that everybody hates. And how Matthew had to fight that, work through that, so to change his association of what it means to be successful and helping others. Now, I want to jump into a theme that's been happening and I've been talking about it in the last few episodes and it's all tying together and it's something I keep on talking about because it's something that works and this is event-based marketing and the more I talk about it, the more I explore it, the more I discover and the more answers I get and the more I'm doing campaigns for martial arts schools, the more I'm learning about the psychology of why things work and why they may not work and it we adjust look marketing is definitely a journey it's you know we we as an agency we have some great wins right off the bat and we we help clients and they get a flood of new students and then sometimes we don't and sometimes we're doing the exact same campaign um, on just two different pages or two different locations but the results are vastly different and it it just proves a point that it's there's not no one size fits all with marketing. Your audience could be different. Your interaction with your audience could be different. Your relationship could be different. The competition you have is different. The type of people could be different. So different messages resonate with different people. And how do you get past that? Well, 
you gotta you gotta commit to the journey and the journey means testing testing your marketing strategies keeping track of what works what doesn't because if you can eliminate what's not working you're getting one step ahead of what is working and you know that's where the whole Pareto principle the the 80 20 concept just speaks volumes in direct response type marketing because 20% of your efforts will generate 80% of your results it's finding out what that 20% is and that's the journey that's where the real work is look every, anybody can put up advertising and do this that kind of stuff but when it's not working you got to know where to find the problem and where to diagnose and, and how to solve that problem so that's 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 gone a bit off topic of what I wanted to say, but it's it's a very important thing that that I've been that I've been experiencing over the last few weeks. And going a bit further, and something that we really spoke about with Matthew is the event-based type marketing. And I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give a spoiler. So he'll he'll explain the whole process and, and concept. And after the episode, I will give a few insights on you know how I'm seeing the objections and things that come up when we do campaigns and how this psychology really applies to it. So look out for that. So I'm going to jump right into that. Now, as always, you can find the transcripts and links and everything about this episode on martialartsmedia.com forward slash 28, the number 28. And that's it from me for now. I want to get straight into this interview. So please welcome to the show, Matthew Ball. Good day, everyone. Today I have with me Matt or Matthew Ball. One of the two. <laughs> Matt Ball's fine. Matt, Matt Ball from SMAC, which stands for yeah. Summer. Yeah, sorry, the Summerville Martial Arts Center. Yes, yeah. Summerville Martial Arts Center. All right. And um, yeah, we're just going to be chatting about a few things travel within the martial arts industry, uh, a few recent successes, and so forth. So, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming down and uh, speaking to me. Awesome. So I guess we're going to have to start from the beginning. So who is Matthew Ball? Um, I started in uh, the Bob Jones Martial Arts Group in Zendu Kai uh, when I was um, about 13 and uh, I'm now 44. And uh, I've continued within the Bob Jones Martial Arts Group throughout that time. In uh, 1996, uh, I decided to go full time and entered into a couple of business writing competitions for the two previous years, uh, Shell Corporation and the Rotary Club used to do business comps. And um, it was a really great way to be mentored. It was my first experience with mentors outside of martial arts. And uh, they helped me uh, develop um, my business programs uh, or business plans to the point where I thought that I could possibly be successful uh, stepping away from my job, which was in a bank at that stage. So in 1996, I I moved out and my main aim was to teach at high schools during the day and then at night time to uh, run my classes sort of from 4 till 8.30 at night uh, each day. Uh, I had a lot of promises from schools in that first year that they would employ me for the following year and um, it looked really great on my business plan and then when I started calling them up, they uh, informed me that I had to have been booked in a year previous for some of them or that uh, it was all requirements and there was things. So that first year was a little bit rougher than I first anticipated. Um, but once we uh, got through that, uh, that business really took off. And in the end, before I uh, sold that part of my business, we were teaching at around about uh, 40 high schools each year. There was five or six people working for me to assist in that, mainly teaching self-defense, but also some um, Muay Thai and some boxing for fitness top classes and things as well. Uh, so that was good. And then um, 
what year are we into now? 2017. So around about 2003, I moved into a full-time premise. Uh, we were at the time operating out of three different uh, halls uh, within the same area. We're all within a five-kilometre radius of each other. So uh, I decided to take the big leap and um, try and bring it all into the one place. And I felt that I had enough members at that point to do that. So I've been teaching children and um, obviously adults for a long time. But uh, I decided I wanted to focus more on the adult and teen market at that stage. And uh, we got right into competition, uh, ring fighting for boxing and the Muay Thai predominantly. Um, so we went into uh, trying to develop that sort of market. So the imagery that I chose and the logos I chose uh, were to direct me towards that market. And we probably... Um, left the, the, the child market a little bit behind. And at first I was happy to do that, that was my, my goal. Um, but after some time, I realized I'd probably swung too far the other way. And we had Dave Kovar from America over uh, at our club. And I was talking about our member base. And at the time it wasn't massive, but it was you know, you know close to the 200, around 170 members. And it was 80% uh, was uh, over the age of 15. And, uh, you know, he said, oh, Matt, that's great. Most people would love to have adult numbers like that. He goes, but uh, you do realise that you can still have a lot of kids and keep those adult members as well. And I went, yeah, I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so um, at that time, we sort of changed our uh, logos. We changed around our um, gym a little bit. So people didn't, when they used to walk in, the first thing they would see would be a boxing ring and then another boxing ring. Often people would be fighting and sparring and then the kids have to walk through it. On, on our wall, we had Krav Maga gear. So it all looked um, military and knives and, <laughs> and guns and things. And it was amazing. You know, when Dave said it to me, I walked outside, I walked back in and I went, who would bring their kid here? And then I, I walked in further and I went, and if I was a guy walking in here, I wouldn't feel comfortable training. Like, it was intimidating, you know. And I was more surprised that we managed to have as many members as we did in that sort of environment. Uh, so even though uh, we really worked hard at being a really encompassing gym and friendly and everything, the facade didn't show that, you know. So uh, that was my first big lesson. <laughs> so so backtrack a bit. First first on the – because there's a few questions in there. But so moving from – because you were, you were teaching at multiple schools – at the time. Yeah, that's right. Was it a challenge getting, did you lose members, moving them all to one location? I think because we were in such a, a small area anyway, around about a 5k radius, uh, we didn't really lose any members. We probably lost some members because the um, fees had to change, the fee structure had to change slightly. Uh, so even though we were able to offer them more classes, that isn't what everyone wanted. Uh, and because our overheads had gone up a little bit, uh, uh, we had to increase it but the members by and large were amazing uh, the first couple of months of being here it was half building side half uh, dojo or, or training gym and we had the wooden floor finished on the first weekend and that was done by 10 or 12 members turning up and helping me construct and you know then we had to sort of section bits off and then over the months we we could slowly get more of the gym operating and cleaner um, and yeah, rather than losing members, um, I think that it actually made us really strong in that period because everyone had some ownership over the place. They were there. Even if they weren't working on it, they were part of that journey of let's do something special together. Um, and it really built a really good community feel that probably lasted for five or six years um, before the next group sort of came through and didn't know anything yes. about that part. 
Mm. Well, you did a great job on the on the environment, and I'm and I'm gonna I'll put a lot of pictures with with the podcast here. But it's really got this Melbourne feel, and if anybody has been to Melbourne, it's all there's always graffiti or you know like posters stuck yeah. up, and and just that in the contrast with the wooden floor, it really looks it almost looks like you're in a kind of say antique coffee shop almost yeah. like. <laughs> like something else is happening here other than the gym. Yeah. Obviously, because it's empty as well, so there's no, yeah, you know, the, the people aren't in here as such. Yeah, we, we find um, that most people, when they come in here who have trained at other places, uh, will remark on, on the field like they'll actually come back out now, whereas before it was a bit intimidating. They'll come back out to me at the front or come and actually grab me and say, Man, it just feels so comfortable here. You know, they're like, uh, Yeah, it. it I don't know how quite we've done it. You know, yes. I, I can't say that it was all purposeful. Some of it was, but some of it has been just by osmosis. And um, but yeah, when when you hear people who train come up to you and say how they just feel comfortable in your space and how they love it, it it's a really special feeling. It's great. Definitely so. Okay, so now how did let's let's go back to the transition because mm-hmm. if you were this hardcore fight gym and Somerville Martial Arts Centre. Also shortens to the acronym of SMAC. Yeah, and so I can imagine initially when you had the branding, you know, with you mentioned earlier skulls and things, mm. and, you know, it was a really for the hardcore fighting market as such. And then with the acronym of SMAC, it really goes with that. But now you you change the branding, you change the image so you can accommodate for yeah. your parents, but you still got SMAC on the t-shirts and so forth. So we do. You know, a, a part of it is um, age as well. So uh, when we moved here, um, so 13 years ago. So I was just in my early 30s, um, just maybe just 30. And uh, so, you know, uh, I was training the fighters uh, intensely. So all that is inside you, you know, and, and you want to express that part of you. And what better way to express it than on a really big building <laughs> and all over your car and, and that sort of thing. So... Um, I probably got caught up in, in the moment and, uh, and, and in my age again and without any professional help from um, marketers or anything because uh, there's not a lot of money and um, I think as a martial artist we tend to think we can do everything on our own. I've quickly learnt that that's not the best way to do it yes. but uh, you know, more of another story. Um, so um, that, that uh, whole feel uh, that we came into, yeah, w- was pretty hardcore, and I, and like I said to you, that was actually a purposeful thing. I wanted to aim for that market. Part of the reason I, I wanted the full time center was because I wanted a ring that we could use all the time. I wanted hanging bags that we could use. Um, just trying to train people in a, in a hall for competition, it, it can be done for sure, but it's not easy. You can't have people coming outside of work times to get extra training in. They're not getting that experience of being in a ring. Um, and then just not getting hours of, of punishment on the bags that you, you sort of need for that internal discipline uh, that they develop from that, not only power and strength, but more that discipline of just keeping on going when they really don't want to be doing it anymore. So, um, yeah, we, we set that up. And it even went into, like, my first car that I had when I moved in was uh, like a Mazda 6 or something, so it didn't look too bad. And then I got a, an Alfa Romeo um, little sports-type car, and, I had stickers, like I said, with skulls and, you know, faded in the background, but it almost looked like a bikey emblem, you know, not an alpha male. I know it doesn't yeah. quite gel, but, and, um, and what I realized pretty quickly, like over two years, was that I just alienated the whole new family market. So families that were with us um, loved us still because the teaching hadn't changed. 
but we weren't attracting any new families. And um, and it, it, yeah, when the realization came to me is, yeah, what am I doing? And this isn't who I am. You know, I'm not that aggressive, nasty guy. Yeah. You know, I don't look like a bikey or anything. <laughs> so it, it was a confusing uh, image I was giving people. It didn't the juxtapositions were, were too far apart. So. Yeah, changing the logo. We actually uh, changed the logo using uh, a tragedy that we had. We had one of our young guys committed suicide. Um, he was uh, working uh, full-time at the, the centre and was also um, competing at a quite good level in fights. And um, he met a girl overseas and uh, the relationship had gone south and uh, unfortunately committed suicide. And one of his friends created an image using a, a boxing image that... Um, you know, everyone put on their cars and stickers and things like that from his friend network and stuff. So about two or three years after that tragedy was when I was looking for the new logo and I was trying to be careful. I didn't want to idolise um, what he'd done. I didn't want other people to feel that that's a good way to get recognised. But I also, in my heart, I wanted to remember him and I felt that the logo captured what we were going for. So we changed it to a circle uh, with the image of a... a a boxer or someone just in, in a victory stance in the center of it. Um, we came up with the motto of uh, commit to excellence and um, put a name on it. And it it's a, a much more, I feel a much more friendly and much more all encompassing. So it encompasses not only our boxing and our Muay Thai, but it also encompasses our martial arts and that striving for excellence. So I think that the image is more about that. The trouble with running a, a gym where you teach multiple martial arts is trying to find an image that encompasses yes. them all. And that's been one of my hardest things. So now when I advertise, um, we advertise each martial art we do separately, even from kinder kids to kids karate, we'll be advertised separately and on separate websites and on separate social media advertising. So we can really target the groups. But then the umbrella brand is still Smack and that's still the, the name out the front of, of the gym. But uh, the first contact people have through the marketing will be very much just that style that they're looking at. So like I say, like a kid's karate or an adult's karate or the Muay Thai kickboxing will really associate to that. So we hope that, and that's worked really well. And, and I'm hoping that that way of structuring the branding uh, can continue to work as effectively as it has. Yeah. It's, and, and I'm, and I'm kind of just thinking out the idea because it's something that I, I notice a lot and it's, I think it's a difficult thing to do because You've got all these different target markets. Mm. I mean, you've got this fighting group and then you've got the mum for the kid and then maybe the adult that just wants to relieve stress yeah. after work. So you've got to have this different conversation. And like I've always thought, how do you, what is, what is then the focus? Is the focus actually just one level up and that value of commitment yeah. to excellence and that your motto is really, all your emphasis is, goes back to the value. Yeah instead of the actual art that's being used to achieve the, the same result? Uh, I, I think that that's definitely a part of it. So the commit to excellence, not only can I use for um, that idea of it's not going to matter what you come into, we're going to help you achieve. It also helps me every day. So when I get a little bit lazy or my discipline lacks, so for instance, um, we iron on patches onto our kids' geese and um, a couple of parents were saying, oh, they're peeling off, you know. And I said, oh, we usually just iron it on and then you can stitch it on later on. But then I thought, oh, I've got a sewing machine here. Why aren't I just sewing them on? You know, it's not that time-consuming for me to do. 
And if I'm committed to excellence, I'm committed to excellence. You know, and so the, the motto not only is for the students, but it's also for me. But going back to what you're saying about um, the the attracting people is, yeah, I, I found the most successful clubs that it appears, financially successful clubs, uh, seem to be the ones that just focus on one style. And I can understand the, the desire to do that. And, and if I was saying to someone who wanted to set up a gym, what should I do? That is the line that I would say they should do. But it's not what I like to do. Yes. <laughs> so what I understand is the best thing to do isn't what I want to, want exactly. to do. Yeah. So this is where um, this breaking it down really came into its own. And it's really helped. It's one of the measures that's taken us from about 10 years of stagnant 170 members to uh, right at the moment 540 active members. And it's uh, happened over two years. And it's when I said, okay, I'm gonna have a separate website for everyone. And they're really just landing pages, you know, basic information about what we do, uh, how to join, and, you know, just the information on that class and why, what sort of person it suits and, and that sort of thing. And now when someone rings, most people that ring have an idea of something that they want to do, but probably about 30% don't. They just, I want to do something. So then we, we talk about the general benefits of martial arts, but then we try and find out what sort of person they are. Are they someone that um, likes to spend time trying to perfect something before they move on? Or are they the sort of person that just likes to keep doing it and as they make mistakes, they'll just try and correct it as they go. So if they're the sort of person that, I just like to get going, man. I don't want to spend time planning stuff out. I just want to get it. Well, Thai, you know, if I'm talking about an adult, I'll say a oh, Muay Thai will probably be the best one for you to start in because um, we keep it pretty quick. The, the techniques uh, require skill at a high level, but they're fast to learn for, for you to feel like you're getting somewhere. Yeah. If they're the sort of person that says, um, yeah, I, I like to plan things out. I like to try and perfect a, a skill or a technique. I'll practice it over and over until I get it right. I'm a bit of a perfectionist. Well, then Zendukai will be the direction that I'll take those people in um, with the boxing it's more often someone will ask about boxing but they'll say um, I, I don't like kicking I don't like I haven't got a good stretch I don't want to move my legs around much or I just want to get into it what we often find is once we get people in here they see the other classes going on and you know we'll probably get 15% we'll, we'll change around because it the thing we did put them in wasn't the right one you know so they'll move on and we've found the best way of doing that is we've actually been running five-week beginner programs. So we find that the five weeks gives us a real good time for them to commit so we know that they're serious in it. So no free classes. They join on a five-week program. They get their uniform or their gloves so they're, they're set up from the start. And by the end of that five weeks, they have a really good understanding of what's going on. They only start with other beginners. So the class is just set up just for them. They're not involved in the whole class. They're not trying to catch up. They're not trying to um, learn as things are racing too far ahead, the instructor's not having to divide his time between them and the higher level people. So we found uh, that gives them a really good grounding. And then they come into our classes after five weeks, like someone used to be after 13 weeks because they've just been able to get that basic work done. So they feel better about it. We feel better about it. And um, they've had a real good chance to see if martial arts is for them without having to invest a massive amount, but enough to know that they're serious, not just, I'm gonna come in and try a class because I'm bored this week, you know? Okay, that's, that's interesting. So, because, mm. you know, we do a lot of the whole paid trial type system, mm. you know, where people, are, and there's a lot of approaches to it, a couple of weeks training, yeah. maybe only a few classes. Um, 
for the purpose, obviously, because you also want the conversion at the end. But it's interesting that you go that whole dynamic of five weeks because you can give a real true assessment. Mm. Do, do, do you find at the end of five weeks that some people, that they are suited, so, so they, they're going to continue this one style, or that you determine that they need to be in a different style or that you, you shift them around? Or? I would say like, it would only be about 15 or 20% that would, um, at the end of it, uh, we would direct them to another style. So, for instance, we would have someone, uh, and it mainly happens in our boxing group, because we do, um, our training's all amateur boxing for competition training. So even though we know that only a small percentage of the group will ever compete, we train everyone as though they're getting ready for competition. A lot of people, because boxing is the in word, come in to do a fitness boxing group. And even though we explain that that's not what it is and we actually have a fitness boxing class, um, most people still cannot understand until someone is punching back at them. <laughs> so even though in that five weeks they won't spar, but they'll yes. still do drills. So um, we call stick and move drills. So where they'll get jabbed at and parry off and, and move around a thing. So they're getting used to it. So what we'll tend to find at the end of the, the five weeks is that we'll have a few of those people that sort of go, I liked it all except for, um, I don't like the sparring. I'm, I'm not into that. Is there something else I can do? So then fitness box might be a thing. Or even we're finding it's often the older guys that feel that way, you know, they think they wanted to do it, but then they go, and I'm 45 or 50, do I really want to get hit by a 20 year old? You know, and, and it's a really good question to ask because yes. I don't think it's a good thing to eat either. You know, like, um, so we off, we found those guys are going into the Krav Maga and, um, and same with some of the ladies. And it's, it's been a great release for them because they're still getting to work hard with someone. They're still getting to push each other around. They're throwing strikes with, with real force but it's in a much safer environment. It's not in that sparring environment where it's quite random. It's more uh, set. And uh, they actually probably end up training harder in the Crav, um, but it's a much better fit for them. So that's probably the main one we, we find that switch and change. With the kids a little bit between kickboxing and, and karate, we find that mum felt that their child was this sort of child, but he's actually probably more this sort of child and he's yeah. bored within two seconds uh, when we're talking about breath and balance and, <laughs> and stance but man you, you get him hitting a bag he'll do it 400 times without wanting to stop so yeah we're probably a bit more shuffle in that class but overall um yeah overall we, we find that what they start in is probably what they they continue to stay in we have very few don't finish the five weeks but we don't capture everyone at the end of the five weeks so at the end of the five weeks, we, we have probably about 30% who will say to us, I absolutely loved doing the five weeks, but I'm not ready to commit for a longer period of time. So I'm not sure if that's in our sales pitch that we're getting that wrong, if we're getting it wrong in our follow-up, or if people are just buying it as a five-week package. Man, I'd love to do Krav Maga for five weeks and get some basic self-defense. Yeah. I wouldn't mind doing five weeks of boxing. I've never tried it before. And that doesn't matter to us because we're still making money out of them. So that, that I don't want to say that crass, but it's still not a wasted lead for us. They're leaving saying they loved it, so they're going to tell someone else about it. Um, and it hasn't cost us anything. So for the for we, we're charging $90 for the five weeks, and they get a set of gloves, um, which we can get wholesale at a good price, or they get a uniform again, which we can get at a pretty good price. So by the time I take out our advertising fees, uh, our instructor fees, and the gift that they get, 
Um, we're still making a little bit, not much, $10 a student average that at nine, $9, $10. $10. So it's not much over five weeks. But then if I can capture 70% of those people to continue on their training, that's when obviously we start to make better returns. Yeah. Mm. So going back to, because you mentioned that over the last two years your business has doubled and how the, the changing in branding played a big role in that. What else contributed to that big growth? So we had a number of things. Um, working with, with uh, Dave Kovar, uh, released some stuff within me uh, that had been holding me back, I think. So I found that most of the mentors I'd worked with up until that point, when it came to trying to be financially successful or um, successful in a business, it came down to finance and it came down to uh, no one ever really said about trying to rip people off, but it always had that sort of feel at the end, you know, lock them in on this, uh, you know, once once they're here, never let them leave, you know, like um, it had that feel like yeah. it didn't matter what they're getting out of it, you've got to keep them, you know, and, and um, it didn't sit right with me. I'm, I don't like that. I don't yeah. like being involved in, in that when it's happening to me and I don't like doing it to other people. So I always felt like there was something stopping me from being successful because I'm thinking... Well, to be successful, I've got to be like them, and I'm not going to be that. So I'm just going to coast along where I'm at. And then doing the work with Dave and, and meeting him and, and seeing the sort of person he was, and then going over to America and meeting his team because I, I went, "This is all really good, but does it really work this way?" You know, when you're, yes. you, you you're learning off someone and you go, "Yeah, I can get up and say how it should be, but how is it really?" You know, do you so practice what you preach. Yeah, do you yeah. practice what you preach? And now you guys. <laughs> following the steps that you've put in process for them or, or are they doing something else and you're out here talking but they're working something else so i went over there and uh and you know watched the, his club a couple of nights and you know got to meet him proper again just have you know relaxed talk and meet all his staff at all different levels from the person that does the intros to the girls and guys at the desk to the people instructing classes man it was impressive you know um the skills of the students were still good. It wasn't like Mickey Mouse, nothing. You know, it was good students. The, the instructors were incredible instructors. I don't just mean physically, but they were just, they knew what they were doing and they were young, you know, but, but he trained them so well. The, the office staff, everyone, and, it, and they all worked as a team. There was no, oh, don't talk to her or he doesn't really know what he's doing. You should come and speak to me. It was, they were talking each other up. They were, you know, everything just felt good about it. Um, so it, it made me change my whole concept, my whole thought concepts on it when, no, you can be successful and be a good guy. What I'm doing is I'm basing my ideas of success on the wrong precept. So that was probably the biggest hurdle. Once I got over that, I was happy to then go back to graphing my student numbers and charting everything. And so when I first started... Can I, can I just stop yeah. you there on that? Because um, so I just want to... So, so the big obstacle you had was your association with success? Yes. Yes? Yep. Okay. For sure. And I still find it in other things too. Um, so uh, I have done some work on trying to get rid of it. I, I was trying to say, I was seeing a psychologist for a couple of years to help work on that as well. And um, I found my time with a psychologist was uh, amazing. It, it helped me. It was like a, a business coach at the nth level because it was what I needed at the time. I didn't need work on my finances and, um, you know, putting my plans in a, to process. What I needed was, what are the hurdles? You've been doing this a long time now. Why are you still butting up against these same hurdles? 
And, um, you know, with a psychologist, you get no answers, but <laughs> it allows you to, <laughs> to, uh, to question yourself on different levels and things. So, um, I found that to be fantastic. And, uh, my Systema instructor, Alex Kostic, uh, he'd been, I've been training with him for about 10 years and he's uh, from Serbia and he's uh, studied psychology and, um, he's always talking about, uh, you know, the people should go and see a psych, you know, we, we, uh, want to get fitter. So we, go and see a PT or we do a martial art, you know. We want to uh, think better, but we don't speak to the professionals on, on how to do it or we want to deal with our uh, you know, situations in a better way. And it, it allowed me, it took about seven years of him constantly talking to me about it. But when I finally went to see the psychologist, I could go in there thinking, I'm not going here because I've got a, a problem uh, that needs to be solved or, or um, you know, a, a mental problem uh, that I'm dealing with. It's... I just want to know how it can be better, you know, and that was a, another big breakthrough for me. Maybe turning 40 yeah. uh, gave me a few breakthrough, <laughs> breakthroughs, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, those couple of things um, helped me get over those big hurdles, put me back in the mindset of uh, growth and development, and then I could put that same mindset back into the business and I could put it back into my own martial arts training about how, I, you know, I want to continue to, to grow yeah. in it. So, uh, yeah, those things. And then the other things that really helped us grow was a few of our instructors uh, sort of came of age, you know, like they got to the point where they were doing really good work and you could really trust them with classes. So then we were able to grow the classes and develop more, more times and spaces. Again, that came to me actually giving them feedback. And again, it came from a, a slight tragedy. I uh, had a bad... Um, uh, a, Thing with my back, I blew out a few discs and had uh, some badly pinched nerves and was stuck on the ground for about four months um, before I could get surgery. And it meant that I was uh, managing the gym um, with my iPad, so watching the classes through the security camera and sending messages on, oh, can we do this? Can you do that? When you teach a class tonight, guys at the front, it's a little bit messy, clean that up. And uh, for the first time ever, I was actually managing the staff and managing the instructors and giving them really clear guidelines. So what would normally happen is I'd turn up, they'd come in for help in a class and I'd say, oh, just take the blue belts. What on? No, no, just take them. <laughs> you know, or, or uh, such and such as get a fight coming out, just go and work with him. And no real clear instruction, no good feedback. But being stuck on the ground for three months, man, it... Blessing in disguise. Oh, it was the best thing. You know, it sounds horrible, but it was the best thing ever made up um, Facebook groups so we can communicate as groups of instructors, then you, you, you know, smaller groups. And then we would, when I got back, we would talk before a class and what they were going to do. I'd give them some other ideas to help with the ideas they had. Uh, at the end of the class, we'd give feedback on how the class went and we've tried to keep that going. So it's now two and a half years later. And so all these things have all accumulated, but that learning to manage um, properly was it was it was a godsend you know being stuck on the ground <laughs> that's that's that's, uh, that's some really deep stuff there i mean you say just those few things but i mean j just just that being able to yes you're removed from the gym but now you actually have the bird's eye view you yeah you can actually see what's going on because you're not in it so you, you you've removed yourself and then the mind stuff i mean yeah. this is something i work on all the time because and and i've you know i've got my own philosophies about yeah. it but I, i'm my, my belief is this, this stuff comes from the day you, you know, the, the way you grow up, the mm. way your parents talk to you about money, that's expensive, this is this, you can't have this, or, yep. you know, the whole tall poppy syndrome thing that's For alive sure. and well in Australia, as soon as there's success, 
let's pull him down. The, yeah. You know, that whole crab in the bucket type thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I think all those, you know, th- those things, and, and just you talking about, I was doing, I mean, you, your words were almost, and, and I'll, I'll re-listen to this, but it was, it was kind of in the sense of, I was doing everything the same, and you know, we were just at this point, and then I changed my mindset and my thinking and my obstacles, and then everything else changed. Yeah, and it's and, and it's almost like it's just that internal change that yeah. you know, your beliefs and yeah. how you, I guess your relationship with money and how you link success because you know you you, you had this vision of these guys are they're a bit dodgy yeah. they you know they they they're trying to be sneaky and, and mm. a bit on the scum side to kind of lock people in and keep their money. And, and your values just don't agree with that. Yeah. So, and, and that's your only model of success almost, if, you're yeah. looking, if yeah. I'm right. And then you kind of, oh, I definitely don't want to be that. Yeah. I'll just, yeah. I don't want to be that guy. That's yeah. right. And if you haven't got those role models to look up to, it's hard to create your own role model. Yeah. But, you know, with you just talking, it's, we, you sometimes say, uh, well, how much difference can one person make? You know, but yeah, by changing those sets, even though it took a lot of people and things for me for it to happen to me, but I was only one person in the end that needed to change for all the other things to change. And then it's changed for everyone in the gym too, to the better as well, yeah. you know, and now there's more people involved in martial arts. So they're getting the benefits of that as well. I had an interesting discussion with one of my higher ranks a little while ago, and we were talking about direction and, and things. And um, I was talking about um, the need for growth and he was dead set against the need for growth. He's, he was telling me that it was a, a narrow way to be uh, looking at, at some of the things or our martial arts development. And uh, I found it, number one, a little bit of a shock and a, and a little bit hurtful too, um, because the growth is about getting other people to experience what I think is absolutely amazing journey and has been so helpful for me that I want other people to be a part of it. I'm not, see, so his mindset is still in that he's thinking success is what I was thinking success was as a martial artist. So he's thinking when I'm talking about growth, I'm talking about a salesman and ripping people off again or something. But yeah, it's like he needs that paradigm shift to say, that's not what I'm, I'm meaning. What I'm meaning is, you know, getting people to love it, getting people involved in it, you know, giving them what what we've had and what we've enjoyed for 30, 40 years, you know, so, yeah. It, 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 I mean, and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm on a completely different level, of, you know, than, than you are, you know, I mean, I only started martial arts in my mid-30s and, and I can tell you what, and I mean, it changed my life, mm. I know that. Why didn't somebody sell me on yeah, you know, yeah. 10, 20, 15 years That's right. ago? You know, why didn't someone, you know, put put their foot down and tell me, you need this? Yeah. You know, this will, you know, this will put you on the right path. You know what I mean? Oh, 100%. So yeah. there's, there's so much value in martial arts that it, it look, yes, and, 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 and we don't want to go that route of, you know, being slimy and... Mm. and, and and uh, locking people in and doing all these funny but stuff. But you need to get the word out there. But, but at the end of the day, you know, you've got to experience yeah. it. You know, and if it's going to change your life, I, I yeah. think, you know, martial arts school owners need to do whatever they can oh, yeah. to install that message and get people over that obstacle, yeah. over those fears that, that are holding them back of actually just mm. getting started and just get them started. The, the third biggest thing that helped change our whole number system around as part of those five-week programs was that we then had a date to advertise to. So rather than just 
advertising for new members all the time, which ended up never happening. So I'll, I'll get some flyers out or I'll put something in the paper or I'll put something on Facebook. Well, there's no date to have to do it by, you know. But when I know that I'm starting my next course on March the 6th and I haven't got anyone in there yet, I know that I've got to be advertising to March the 6th. And there's no use me advertising um, kickboxing if that course is Zendu Kai. So I'm only going to advertise Zendu Kai for that group to get in on March the 6th. So it's made me invest money in my advertising. It's made me look at how the advertising campaigns work. It's made me look at the results of the advertising campaign because they're very obvious. I don't just go at the end of the year, oh, how many people did we have this year? You know, it's like, well, how many people did I get to join up that month? Six. Okay. Um, so next time we do it, we get eight. What did we do different? Or well, next time we did it with three, yeah, but it was the middle of winter and most people, you know, so we can start to really look at, at things. But having that date, I have to have it done by, man, that was another, that was a real I'm, good I'm so glad you mentioned that because I've, yeah. I've spoken about it a few times and I spoke earlier to, to Daryl Thornton yep. from Sugar Kai Karate and we were talking about events and deadlines and you know he just had a, a huge open day yep. where he signed up 70 people and it was an hour yeah, wow and and it, it was 70 people in the hour and then 19 came back on the monday yep. and the whole and we were talking about this whole psychology of it's not five hours mm. you know that people can come and go when they please yep. it's one hour where they get to spend their one hour of energy they can only be there 12 to one that's the yep. hour and they do something very simple they they run the event, they, everybody gets to take part. It's the pride yeah. of the school. You know, that's the, what all the students are looking up to. They just yeah. want to do this one thing. It's coming in. And then, yeah. yes, you know, they, we just we want to do the open yeah. day. And they do one offer at the end. And it's not a high pressure or anything, but it's, yeah. you know, this is the offer for the day. And it's that, and the whole psychology goes back to exactly what we were just talking yeah. about this, this whole thing of a, an event for your marketing, mm-hmm. that it's not people can just walk in when they please and join. It's, yeah. you can only join. This is your window. Yes. This, is, this is where the offer is. And we find people actually all. appreciate it. You know, once, so sure, we'll get a percentage that won't appreciate it. But the most, when we explain to them, oh, the reason why we have everyone start on this date is because we find in the past people uh, just need to try and tag along. It's not a great learning experience. You know, you can feel difficult. And you, and if, but if we can really sell to them, you know, and in this beginner's program, we go step by step. You're only with other beginners. The, the instructor can concentrate on you guys and really give you a good platform base. Man, I want to do it. You know, like yes. when I'm telling other people about it, I'm going, I wish I had started like that. My first class, I got winded five times. I started in stretch jeans and had to do squats with someone on my shoulders. You know, why did I keep coming back? I have no idea. But I don't need to give that same experience to someone else. I can give them a much better experience than what my first experience was. Yeah. That's awesome. I've got one more question for you because I know you do a lot of traveling and so you've got a lot of people on board with within the fight arena and the fight scene. What's been your biggest learning curves from traveling abroad with martial arts and, and the fight shows and, and so forth? I think um, the biggest learning curve, there's probably been two. The first one's probably just a funny one, but uh, a lot of guys don't do much for themselves and you learn that when you go away with them and they ask... Uh, how they're going to get their underpants cleaned and, you know, uh, where, where's every little thing, you know. And he, oh, my God, this guy's he's gone from mum to his wife and there's been nothing in between, you know. The girls are much better. The girls are really tend to be self-sufficient, yeah. self-sufficient uh, but the guys can be pretty hopeless. So you end up being a bit of a uh, an everything to them on those trips. But um, the, the main thing I've found is that 
uh, martial artists are martial artists. When I first started traveling, I'd be really quite nervous going into a, another uh, gym or a studio or a, a seminar um, because you didn't know what quite was to be expected and you didn't, you, you were a representative of everyone from your system, you know, like you're not, but you felt yes. that, you know, you're sort of going, if, if I'm the only guy these guys ever meet from our system and I'm an idiot, you know, if I, if I don't do well, then um, it's not, it's not going to look good on my, my whole system. But what I've found is if you just get in there and have a go and uh, laugh with them a bit and enjoy the session, that it, it, um, everyone takes you under their wing. And then because you've got something in common, they want to show you around, they want to take you out for dinner. You know, they help get you to places that you would never get to when you travel. So most of my trips, the vast, vast majority of my trips are around martial arts. So it's either learning or for the competition stuff. With the competition stuff, the main thing I've found is that um, Australia is way up there on our levels of professionalism in the way we run our shows and competitions, but also on our levels of, of competitors. And I've also uh, found that, particularly in the Muay Thai, um, that everyone's there to help each other. So we're in the change rooms. Uh, there's no animosity generally in the change rooms. It's generally very, very friendly. If I've traveled away and I haven't been able to bring a bucket because there was no room, someone in the change room is gonna give me a bucket. The last fights were at world title fights on uh, Lion Fight, we were stuck in a place called um, Connecticut. We are on an Indian reserve in the middle of nowhere. Apparently it's the biggest casino in America under one roof, but um, that didn't mean much. <laughs> there was nowhere to buy anything. The next town was 40 minutes away. We had no cars, you know. Guys helped us out with pretty much everything, you know, even down to uh, adrenaline for, for stopping cuts, which we needed. Um, so, yeah, I, I find that martial artists in general, uh, through my vast uh, experience with them, the vast majority are decent, good people. Sure, there's going to be that guy that wants to test you a little bit more, or that's had a bad day or whatever, but that's everywhere. That's in the supermarket or in my own club from time to time. But, uh, man, I just, I just love travelling and meeting martial artists. It's just the best thing ever. Awesome. Matthew, that was awesome. Thank you very much. Great to have you on the show. And maybe we're going to have to do a round two for the, for the fight stuff and, and yeah, chat a bit more no about worries. that. <laughs> Thanks very much for uh, letting me talk and I've been loving all the podcasts. I've learned so much off uh, all the different people you, you've had on. In fact, some of the ideas that help turn me around are from uh, different martial arts podcasts and things that I've listened to. So. That's excellent. And be before we go, if people want to find out more about you, where should they go? They could uh, have a look at uh, www.smacksmac.net.au. Smack.net.au. Yep. All right, awesome. Cool. Thank Thanks you. Thanks Matthew. <laughs> Cheers. And there you have it. Thank you, Matthew, for a great interview. It was good fun. Learned a lot, likewise. And touching back on what I mentioned about the event-based marketing, if you look at the whole psychology of that, just putting a dead end to the purchase. You know, the, the big thing with martial arts is the long-term commitment. And people fear long-term commitment. It's just something that you've got to process. And as I spoke with Paul Valpin and how we, we spoke about the different stages of the conversion. You know, somebody comes in for the pay trial, that's that. Now there's a whole new conversation because there's a whole new state of mind and there's a whole new a whole new person really because they've experienced what martial arts can do for them or not. So that, that conversation is going to be completely different. And you've got to think of it as these little baby steps that are climbing up this ladder to get to the ultimate conversion. 
at the end of the day. And the the psychology of putting that whole deadline in place, there's a lot of things here. There's the psychology of the deadline, again, deadline. <laughs> I know I repeat myself often, uh, but the deadline of, it's a five-week program, so people know that that's what they're committing to, five weeks. And it's actually nice for a student knowing that, hey, I can actually sign up to this, and in five weeks, I've accomplished something. You know, in my mind, I can feel that I've done something worthwhile. And this comes back to an objection that I see coming up with the whole pay trial system is uh, a lot of people say that, you know, even though the pay trial is so good, they don't want to disappoint the child because they don't want to put the child through this whole process of enjoying the martial arts journey. And now the parents got to say, uh, sorry, we, we just can't do it. We can't afford it. It's not going to work. And having that deadline, having that package deal where someone, where you can, and look, maybe you don't even have to do anything different, but you know, like what Matthew does is put something in a five week package. And if you can package it as in a, something that really delivers a result that people aren't scared to commit because they know for the five weeks, they, they're going to walk away with something and certain skills. That is a great way to frame things. And look, obviously your intention is to keep them as a long-term member, but removing that that fear, that risk, that risk of commitment, um, risk reversal, you know, we talk about a lot in, in our copywriting stuff is risk reversal. How can, how can you remove the risk completely and take on the risk? The risk is all on you as the school owner. So how can you do that? How can you put, take all the risk, eliminate it all from the, the person that's, you know, <laughs> contemplating whether martial arts is going to work for them or not? So remove all barriers, make it easy for people, get them on the floor, get them, get them trying things out, and then enter the next step of the conversion. All right, that's it from me. Just a few insights, something that uh, a few things that have come up for next week. We got another awesome interview for you, and that's it. Show notes and all links and everything on martialartsmedia.com forward slash number twenty eight. And I will speak to you next week. Have a good week. Chat soon. Cheers. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening. If you need help building your martial arts school, check out martialartsmedia.com.